Everybody, we are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than a Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas. And I want to thank you before we begin, because we have a great episode and a great guest lined up for you. I just want to thank all the fans, all the followers, all the supporters. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for the nice the words of encouragement. Thank you for everything, because just because of you guys, we're growing week over weekend. I really appreciate you. It means the world to me. And also, before we begin, shout out to our partners, the Live Podcast Network. Shout out to Andrew and the team. And shout out to Hard Rock Expert Cocktails. So I want to thank you guys for being our partners and believing in us. All right. So let's get into it, because right now we've got a, a great guest lined up. I met this queen on a LinkedIn panel maybe about two months ago, and it was a bunch of, uh, you know, black creators that are really doing their thing on, on social media and in real life. And I just, once I heard her story, I'm like, I have to have this young lady on. So she's a top D top 100 DEI leader and on the DEI execs list to watch list. She creates and lead change management efforts to develop strong equity pipelines and organizational culture. She's award-winning novelist, industry columnist, government leader that has spoken in multiple federal agencies, private organizations about the intersection of culture, leadership, and strategic alignment. So through coaching, mentoring, and others leading innovative programs, initiatives, she creates opportunities for growth in many times unrepresented segments of the workplace. She has a 15 plus year history of contributions to the government, military, private industries, and is also a proud army veteran that enjoys reading, writing, suspense novels, traveling, and coaching youth sports. So I want to introduce you guys to this queen, Dr. Teresa Horn. Thank you for, for coming on, Queen. Thank you so much, Mr. Thomas. I mean, when you read it, it's everything. It sound, it sound like the real. You be like, I be I be thinking that sometimes when I read people's bio, like I know you be thinking like, damn, I did all that shit sounds good, don't it? I love that. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'm honored to have you on, Queen. Like, once again, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on. And you know, this story is this show is all about you and your platform to you know tell your story. So I would love to kind of get into it from the beginning. You know, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and kind of how you got into the industry, so to speak. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a huge question because my upbringing has been all over the place. I was one of those mm. kids that um, didn't stay in one place too long, which I think leads into sort of who I've come to be as an adult, where I can mm. go anywhere, do anything. I'm adaptable. Yep. Um, but I was born in Chicago. But I was, raised, yeah, <laughs> but I was raised in California, Compton, California, for a little mm. bit of my life. Uh, that's where my mother's side of the family is from. Um, so totally different lifestyles. You know, West Coast and Midwest can't be farther apart from each other. And yeah. then um, I, we actually moved to Atlanta, Georgia after that. And that's where I call home. So I call Atlanta, Georgia home because I went to high school there. I know yeah. how to, you know, my friends, I know how to yeah. get around the city. So Atlanta to me feels like home. So, you know, all my Atlanta people watching, please big up me uh, for ATL. <laughs> and then um, here I am living in the DMV area, you know, and, and loving it as well. So, you know, me growing up has been um, an interesting pathway. You know, I was a child that um, I was always reading. That was my number mm. one thing. I did not mm. need friends because we moved so much. So I was in my own little world all the time. And mm. from that, moving so much and reading, you get just a wealth of knowledge. You get to think Absolutely. in a creative way. And that shows itself in the work that I do today. Oh, that's amazing. I'm curious. So as far as you moving, were your parents in the military as well? Or what was the cause for moving? I'm just curious if you don't mind. So, me my, so my dad was in the military. He was in mm. the Army, MP in the Army. Um, and then my mother who I lived with for most of my life, um, she just took every job that she could. She was one of those grinded out, hustling type women, you know, where she would take a promotion anywhere to further our family. And so we would just move to, to for her to get a promotion. And mm. again, that speaks to who I am as a person because nothing stopped me, stops me. I don't have that barrier where I put that in front of myself and say, well, I can't get that job because it's in San Francisco, or I don't want to apply for that because it's out of my hometown. You know, yep, and that's yep. I tell people, be flexible with life because opportunities are going to come from every angle. And if you let them pass you by, who knows what could have happened in your life? Oh, that's so real right there. That's so real, Queen. And I'm curious too, because like I actually had another guest on last week and then uh, she's actually 
was a, her parents were realtors. So, and then she basically created a podcast network. I'm come from the same floor. My whole family's educators. My mom is assistant principal. My, my girl was a teacher. Uh, my brother, sisters, all teachers. And I'm like, nah, I can't do it. I was working at Starbucks and all that. I'm like, I was looking stupid at first, but now we winning. But like, what, so what, what made you go into, was there something specific about your parents' military service or their careers that made you say, I want to do this and I have to do this? You know, it snuck up on me. It was one of those things. Mm. You know how people say about the cycle where yep. you end up doing what your parents do, whether you're like fighting it or not. It was that thing for me where military was not on my radar ever. Right. Wow. And so I was always an entrepreneur. From the time I was little, I was that kid that had the candy shop. I was that mm. kid that had the lemonade stand. If you wanted to buy something at school, come to my locker. Like that was that was <laughs> I who it. I was. So entrepreneurship was just my aim. And so the reason I got into the military, funny enough, is that when I went to college, I went my first year of college, you know, and we all have way too much fun our first year mm. of college, right? <laughs> so I was threatened with being kicked out of school. And my parents were like, we're paying this money to, uh, you know, for you to get an education and we want to see your grades. We want to see you doing this. Yeah. And so I felt like they were on my back. Mm. And so me, as feeling like I was an adult, said, hey, y'all don't have to pay anything so that I can live my life. And so then I had to figure out how was I going to get this paid, right? Mm. And I saw an ad on television about the military. <laughs> and I said, they pay for school. And I was like, this is a way for me to get from under my parents' thumb. I'm going to do it. you know. And I got my best friend who also, she came from a military family. So she was gung-ho. She's like, yeah, let's do it. We'll be battle buddies. So we get in together. Mm college we both get in together in college and that's how i ended up doing the same thing that my family did <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> What was your, what was your, like, I got so many questions, right? Cause like, that's, that's real. Like, first of all, and shout out to everybody. And first of all, thank you for your service. Thank you. Right, right off the bat. Thank you for your service. Right. Cause like, I'm a, I'm a, I ain't gonna lie to you. I've seen the commercials and never get me. I can't, I don't care what it does. I'm not doing it. Like I'm nervous. I'm scared. Call me what you want. Like I'm not doing it. If y'all come to the neighborhood, I'll fight for the neighborhood for sure. But like, right. I, can't, I can't go out there and do it. But like, what what was that? What was that initial moment when you got there? Like, what was basic training like? What was your entire experience like? You know, when you first started going from college, like we're partying, we're chilling, we two right. up, two down, we killing it, yep. we a town stomping, and now mm -hmm. we're in the military, and somebody's telling us when to get up, how to right. eat, when to eat, and all those things. So, could you walk yeah. us through that if you don't mind? Yeah, I think it for me getting into basic training. You know, you have that fear of yeah, what is going to happen to me because and I can I do it? Control to somebody else. But yep. I always had this thing because I played sports, you know, I was into doing everything as a kid um, from horseback riding lessons to ice skating, to tap dancing, to basketball, <laughs> to cheerleading. I did everything. I was a kid that just lived life. And so throughout all of those things that I was doing, I always had this understanding that you can only do as much as your body can do. Mm. Right. So I never was fearful of you know, pushing myself to a particular limit, because once you play a sport, you know what that feels like. Yeah. You know what giving your all feels like. So yeah. for me, I wasn't worried about whether I went to basic training and I would get my, my ass kicked. You know, it was, you're going to get your ass kicked. Can you push past that? Right. Mm. And so that was the, the, the thing for me was I'm giving control up to someone else. That That's the hard was part. what was scary to me. That's it the wasn't part. the physical element. It wasn't anything else. It's the the I'm giving control up of my life, the when I wake up, when I lay down, where I go. And so when I actually went through it, I went through it and it was not that difficult for me because I was very mentally strong. I mm. knew that if I someone put a challenge in front of me, it was like a personal challenge. So I wanted to overcome whatever that you know hurdle was. So it was perfect for the a mentality like mine. Because yeah. if you say you can't do this, I'm going to say, no, I can. And then I'm going to try extra hard to make it happen. And so I excelled. I was a squad leader when I was in. Mm. Um, held different, you know, different seats. Um, but for me, the military is about discipline. 100%. If you can discipline your mind to do anything, um, then you will excel in the military. That's all that it is. But it's that's. 
that's so hard though. Like, so how, how does one, so obviously, you know, coming from the mud, I'm, you know, we're, we're from the Bronx and things like mm-hmm. that. I actually had somebody on the season one and we we're talking about emotional intelligence. And I asked them like, what makes somebody, what made me turn right versus my friends going left? And yeah. we had a deep conversation about that. But what advice would you give to other professionals or other people who may be listening? It's like, how do you, how do you strengthen your mind to give yourself that discipline and say, I'm gonna go through it? Because like, I could tell by the way you said it, you was like, ain't nothing stopping me. Like, Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, honestly, it, it has to be in you because I mm. have friends that will not try something. And to exactly. me, it's like I'm sitting there like you won't even try. The fear is so strong that you won't even try. That's You've real. talked yourself out of it before seeing if you could do it. And so it, I, I believe it's something in you that says you either like a challenge or you have a strong, high self-esteem where you know that you can conquer most things in the world. Uh, or you're just curious where you're like, I wonder if I could do it. You know, those people tend to try and excel. Other ones who question themselves, who have low self-esteem, who uh, don't want to even try because they're scared of either success or failure, because there yeah. are people who are scared of success. So because they're true. like, wow, once I make it, then I have to maintain at that mm. level. And that scares them. Or I could lose those things that I've accomplished. And that scares them from even trying. So Um, I think it's in you. Like you have to soul search yourself and say what motivates you to do the things that you do when it's tough, not when it's fun. What do you do when it's tough? Yeah. When the going gets rough, what are you going to do? And and that is funny you said that because that's exactly what the gentleman said about the emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. It was what was that motivating thing for you in your life that made you turn right versus your friends turning left? And for me, it was I just had a child. So it was my first son. I'm like, man, I can't be working at Starbucks and smelling like yeah. ribs and BBQ. So I'm going to yeah. figure it out. And that's what ended up happening. And that's how I got into sales. So it, it's crazy Children that you said that. that. Children do that for you. Change your perspective. Yeah, it changes your perspective overnight. And you know, I don't know if this was the same with you. When you knew that you were about to have a kid, were you that person where you're like, nothing's going to change? Like, I'm going to take my kid. I'm going to do the things I've always been doing. I'm going to just take them with me, you know? Yeah. I had that mentality where I was like, oh, I'm going to travel still. I'm going to still go out with my friends and I'll just let my mom keep my son. You know, (laughs) in my mind, I was like, nothing's going to change. And yeah, everything. Everything changed. So for me, I had a young, I had my son young. So I had him at 20. So I had a tumultuous high school year. I was, you know, I was a good student, went to public school. When I went to public school, I had the free house. I had no over supervision <laughs> and I was the cool new kid. So I was not in class. I was going there, passing tests and going out and like, where we at with it? And that was me. <laughs> so by senior year, I had to do two years in one just to graduate on time. Mama said, if you don't graduate, wow. you got to get your ass out. And I was like, wow. no, mama, no. So I got my, <laughs> shit, together. So I got my shit together. And then after that, I was like, I, I don't want to go to college because I, it was so tumultuous that last year, let me Take a break. And what happens after you take a break? You work these little jobs and then, oh, boom, you're having your first child. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. Whatever it is, I'm going to have to figure it out. And just it just changed my entire perspective on life. So while I'm thinking what I'm going to be doing when I'm 30, 35 and my friends at party and having fun, I already have a 10 year, 15 year plan. We got to make it happen. So and that's just what it is. So shout out to us being parents. parents. (laughs) (laughs) That you need. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't I, I'm not putting that disclaimer out there for people to go out and make babies. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that was the same for me, too. Once I knew that my son was coming, I started planning and thinking about things differently. I started thinking outside of myself and what yeah. was comfortable for me because yeah. I took jobs that were comfortable for me. Right. I was I, as long as I was happy doing it. I didn't care about the money and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then that all changed and it was, you know, what do I have on retirement? How am I going to pay for yeah. you know, daycare and yeah. campers and all this other stuff? So, um, yeah, children will will get you on the right track real quick. Real, real quick. Right. So that's a shout out. Shout out to shout out to all the parents out there. Yes. I know having my child changed my life. And I'm curious, too, like I want to go back to the basic training part, too, yeah. and what and kind of what transition after. But was there a moment? where you did feel like giving up? Was there one moment where it was like, man, I want to go home. Mama, you call mama love, you call the family. It was no moments like that? No moments for me like that. Even when oh, I went fire. to war, I did not go home at all. For 365 days, I stayed in a war environment. Uh, I do not want to be released. I don't mm. want to feel any bit of happiness when I'm in the trenches because that messes up your psyche. 
Mm. And so some people can go back, see their family, hug their family, love on their family and come back to a wartime situation. Good on them. I'm not that person. If I'm in the trenches, keep me in the trenches till I'm completely out. Until the mission's complete. I, I'm on my. Complete. That's that's. So I don't want any weakness. I don't want any weakness in a time where I need to be strong. So, um, no, I don't think about home when I get into these types of situations. When I was in basic, I didn't think about being home and mama and oh, I could be doing this instead. It was what's the what's the plan that I have to to accomplish right now. How long is this going to mm. take? This is going to be, you know, 12 weeks of my life. Okay, week one is down. What's coming up for week two? Yeah. So, but when they told you it was on tour, was there anything that you had to, because I know you're mentally strong enough. So once you did training and once you was like, I'm squad leader, like I am the shit. But when I think about when you're going into a wartime environment, for me, my mind goes to the first scene of, of fucking Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> real talk. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like so is it like that like how did you train your mind to be like all right look i'm here for this yeah. mission like it's so hard to do that like how do you it's yeah. like an on and off so how did you yeah. prepare for that no yeah i wasn't mentally prepared for that i'm, I'm gonna be completely honest and i'm very strong mm. right i'm very logical um but i think when you're in a in a situation where you don't know what you're walking into and not sure if you're gonna come back from it that yes. that makes you think about the world in a different way, right? That's, that's the that's the key thing. And so I remember just being on the flight over there and just, you know, thinking to myself, like, was this the last time that I saw my family? Oh, you know, that. And, and that is eye opening for at, I think at the time I was 19. Um, that's mm. eye opening for for a teenager. You know, and you could have done anything else in the world. Yep. And that's the is like, what did I get myself into? Like, did I put myself? And then it's like, you still, you still walk the path. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I never second guessed it. When I make a decision, I don't second guess it because I think I make the decision with the, the most information that I have at the time. And so me going back and thinking, oh, I could have been doing something else will only serve to provide doubt in the, in the path that I'm on at this time. So I don't doubt myself. I know that I make good decisions. Right. And mm. I make good decisions for me. And that's it. So it's that's just it. dealing with whatever comes from that path, whatever jumps out on that path while I'm on it. I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> I never look back and say, oh, I should have took that left back there. You know, mm. I, I'm more of like, OK, I'm on this path. What's jumping out? How am I how am I dealing with it? You know, and and trying to see ahead to where the path is leading me. But. Um, I never doubt myself. I never think that I make a wrong decision. Um, some people live with regret. Uh, I can only tell you maybe one thing I've regretted in life, which I would not tell you on this on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> over, we go, over over dinner one day. We'll yeah, we got to do that one offline. For <laughs> <laughs> sure. And also, I want to say shout out to, to my brother Dre. He's also a veteran. Thank you for your service, bro. Thanks. We know I love you, man. Thank you for tuning in. And um and Dr. Horn, so like I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around. So you're on tour, you know, you've already prepared yourself. You're 19 years old. Looking back now, what is the one, what is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned during your tour or during your service that's helped you prepare for the now? Ooh, man, that's a good question. And that was off the top of the head. Damn, that was good. I mean, I'm sorry. Really <laughs> heavy hitting them right now off the dome. I need you to settle down. Um, <laughs> One of the biggest lessons that I learned from all of my service, because I learned so many lessons. And that's oh, absolutely. What, you know, I learned so much about myself. Um, I think the biggest lesson for me was the transition from um, being in service and out of service. Mm. That was something that I didn't see coming. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, when you know what you've done and now you're transitioning to something totally new, you're transitioning back to the world, the, the real world. Yeah. Right. And I was in this wartime situation and coming back and everybody is so happy, you know, they doing a parade, they're doing all these things and you're still got that lingering thing from mm. being at war that doesn't go away, you know, and, 
And so it took me a minute. You know, I'm a strong person, so I'm I'm thinking that I'm coming back normal. Yeah. And I wasn't normal at all. I was having sleep issues. I was sleepwalking. I had anxiety. I was having anxiety attacks. I would see people in Walmart and completely be triggered. Wow. And so I'm dealing with this, mind you, 20 years old. Wow. I'm trying to figure out why is this happening to me? Why can't I sleep? You know, why am I waking up with nightmares and why am I waking up in other parts of my house because I'm sleepwalking, you know, and it's, it's those, those after effects that you don't think about when people come back from um, service oriented duty, you know, Um, and being young is another thing. I'll tell you this too, that I I recognize Um, young people don't get treated the same way old veterans do. I could imagine. I was 20 years old going to the VA asking for help. And they looked at me. They looked at this face, a baby face, 20 year old and said, you're fine. What? You're fine. You can say they just said you're fine. I ain't fine. You want me to show you? That's when you, you got to break that. Stuff. You got to break somebody up. You know? But then you, no, got, crazy. you got all of these older veterans in here, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with a bunch of issues. And they look at you and think that you're fine because you're young, you know. And so I'm, I'm sure that there's other veterans out there who are young that dealt with the same thing um, yeah. that I had. And that's one of the things that I had to learn, that sometimes you got to deal with it on your own. And it's that sacrifice, which is it's it's incredible. You know what I mean? That that you that you put yourself through that, which also <clears throat> excuse me, is a good question, a good segue, because I would think when I think of the military, I think of a boys club, mm-hmm. primarily a, a white male boys club mm-hmm. when I think about the military. So for you as a young woman of color that's coming in at 19, 20 years old, you're on tour. What advice would you give to the 20 year old version of yourself that wants to move up in the ranks, right? And yeah. to play the game. So what, what advice yeah. would you give to that, that queen or king? Yeah, I would say, you know, know who you are and stand 10 toes on that. Heard that. Wait, can it's we get good. an air horn? Can we get yeah. an air horn? Can we get an air horn on that, Jay? Wait, hold on, where's my air horn? Where's my sound? There it goes. <laughs> But it is it, so true, though, because, you know, when you're in an environment where um, the worst of you can come out, right? Mm. When you're in a war environment, you're you're high emotion, you're high strung, you're around people who are also scared and making decisions based off of fear. You know, a lot can come out of that. All the bigotry, all the racism, all the hatred, everything comes out because you're in your worst of times, right? Yeah. And so knowing who you are is so important. And I think that's mm. the one thing that got me through where I didn't have to be like anyone else. I didn't have to be a part of the boys club. I didn't have to be with the guys doing yeah. this. I didn't try to, you know, do anything that wasn't me. Yeah. You know, now that may stop you from getting promoted. But at the end of the day, you earn something more valuable. Right. Yeah. Knowledge of self, strength and self. And nobody can tell you who you are after that. That's it. That's it. That's, oh man. And it, like what I'm thinking, and I'm trying to think of how to posi- how to ask this question, right? Because we know there's racism and bigotry that exists in the military, right? Mm-hmm. But how does that play when you're in the field, right? Yeah. Like, so, so it's a life or death situation. I have a white male counterpart that's basically tasked with holding me down and vice versa. Do you see anything like that happen or occur that is like, all right, I'm going to help the other white man or I'm going to help the other black male or black female versus helping you. Or that once you get in the field, it's kind of that cease to exist. You know, it's funny that you asked that from what I saw and what I experienced that ceased to exist. Well, well, Shaq, can we get an air horn for that? They need your back. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can we get an air horn for that? Because at least on that, how the hell can you let that cease to exist? But then when we back at the lunchroom or the break hall, yep. or the mess hall, it's back. How does that happen? Yeah, because it's life or death. It's life or death. So if you look at it this way, if you're a racist and let's say I am a white male and I don't like Asian men. Right. Mm -hmm. But we have to go into this situation where you have my back. You have my six. Right. Yeah. I have to trust you in that moment. And it's and we're going to get through it because I'm going to either not go, which is not an option, Mm. but I have to trust you. Right. But when I get back to the mess hall, I don't 
don't like you as a person. Mm. I don't see value in you as a person. So mm. no, I'm not going to hang out with you. No, I'm not going to talk to you. But when I'm forced to, and that's what you got to understand about wartime mm. situations, when you're forced to um, be on a team, it's life or death at that point. So yeah, you're going to, anybody could do anything in life or death. You tell me to jump off a bungee cord off a building that's burning, I'm going to jump off the bungee cord. But if you ask me if, I, if I'm doing it in Costa Rica for fun, no. <laughs> That's real. That's real. You know? I definitely get it now. I felt that. <laughs> Absolutely not. So I think it's that sort of thing where, yes, it goes away when it's necessary and needed for survival, but that doesn't change, you know, a person's heart, you know, yeah. and it could if they are ever in a situation where that person has to save them or go above and beyond, but just working with them and going through struggles. You know, it doesn't yeah. always change people. That's so real. And and you would think so. Like, like once again, but like you said earlier, it's the hard part is the relinquishing that control over the situation, right? So I would just think automatically, if you got my six, I got your six, we made it back to the mess hole. Like, we good. Yes. Like, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, yes. this talk, we ain't got to be best friends, but let's at least, yes. I'm in there. I want and, you there. And sometimes it works like that. You know, yeah. some people are able to, to sort of work it out over time. Um, but that is not the, the rule. You know, it, 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 it is not the rule. Wow. And, and, and I'm, cause I'm thinking this is a good segue too. Cause I'm, I feel like this is a reason why you also started your work in the diversity and inclusion, right? <laughs> is it, is it where the things that you saw that was like, look, I'm going to go back to the headquarters and I'm going to, we're going to fix some of this stuff mm -hmm. for our people and marginalized people across the military. So was that a big influence or a big reason why you do the work that you do now? And if you don't mind, could you explain some of the work you do for yeah. any listeners? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it, it is a, a piece of it. So there are multiple pieces and layers to my story of how I, I, I've gotten into the work that I'm doing. Um, and so I'm the director of the Diversity and Equal Opportunity Office for the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. And so a part of what I do is I oversee um, the work done in terms of um, equal opportunity for individuals, meaning making sure that you're not discriminated against, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure that there isn't, there's equity in our systems, that people of color, women, people with disabilities all get a fair shake, right? At any opportunity in the work environment. Yeah. Uh, and then even outside of that, you know, I lead the teams that work on the proactive side, which is the culture. How do we build culture in an organization so that everybody feels like um, they're a part of it, right? You can be different and still be on a team, right? Sure. When you talk about basketball, every player plays a different position, has a different skill set, right? Sure. But you need all five to operate at the highest level to win a game. So do good in what you do. So we want different. We want people who have skills in different ways and look at things different ways uh, because we're trying to, to build a team of five, a strong team of five, you know. Um, and so that's what I do in my in my day to day work. So what another layer to how I got into this work, too, was, you know, throughout my career, I tell you, I was an entrepreneur. So I was yep. working on um, uh, marketing campaigns. And in these marketing campaigns, organizations would want you to, well, how do we get, you know, black women to buy this thing? Yeah. You know, and you're sitting here as a black woman, I'm sitting here telling you what resonates with me for a company that is making millions, billions of dollars um, just to get money out of people like me. Me, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, man. You know, we get used so often in terms of economics, you know, economics that we don't even realize the power that we have as consumers of things to drive what is offered to us. Um, and so marketing helped stem into that lane where I said, you know what, this is not equitable. The way that you market to our folks is not the same way that you market to other groups. Absolutely. Why is that? Because we all want the same thing. We want a good product, you know? So it's, you know, that that helped me to see things in a different light, um, which also on top of 
military dealing with that gender race all of those things and disability you know coming back from war all of that wrapped up into that and then marketing and seeing how people catered to certain groups in certain ways um yeah helped me say i need to do something in this area yeah, and, and and I love, first of all, I, I love the initiative of diversity and inclusion. And coming from tech, so anybody listening, like Dr. Horn hit it spot on, right? So like basically you'll be at these organizations, right? Like for me and my experience, I've been the guy that, that wasn't cool. I was just the, you know, I've always been different. Mm-hmm. I've always been different in how I approach sales. So how I got on LinkedIn, I think I've told you before, was me going a different way and just like, look, I'm tired of the Oxfords, the button up. Like, this is who I am. Hat, hoodie, Jared. I'm from the Bronx. Yeah. I'm hip hop. I'm a rap. I'm a dad. I'm this, that. Yeah. I'm a multifaceted person. And the problem is the people who are marketing to us aren't necessarily us. And then they probably will get somebody in that room to look like <laughs> us. And it's kind of like the Rooney rule in football. So it's yep. like they just put somebody <laughs> in the room, put somebody in a row. They want you to, to, to sit there and help, but your 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 expertise or your say only goes but so far, right? Yeah. I think um shout out to my brother Walt Gear. He actually had a a, a, a memoir a memoir about this. It was called the black advertising effect. Yes. Now the black quarterback effect in advertising, when it was basically like, look, you want us to run the team and throw the ball and all that, but you're not gonna call us the franchise. Yep. Why is that? Yep. And yep. that's what happens in marketing. And so when I my problem with diversity and inclusion is I love the initiative that brothers and sisters are actually doing. The problem is it isn't mainstream enough. Whereas mm-hmm. the fact where all of us are feeling the change. So yeah. I'm curious for you, like from what you've seen and some of the things, what is one of the most impactful stories that you've seen or change that you've helped implement for our people? Yeah, great question. So you know, I, I think back, and this isn't really for our people, but I'll, I'll talk about a group of people. A group of right? people, for sure. Thank so, you for clarifying, because that was, that was bad. Um, <laughs> i got to be inclusive. My bad. That was a- <laughs> but I, I think it is, you know, getting into this work. And the reason I say that, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. The okay. reason I say that is because a lot of people get into this field off of pure passion based on what has happened to them. Mm, so true. Right? I'm a black woman, I'm a veteran, I'm a mother, right? I have all of these intersectionalities, right? But me doing this work means that I fight for everybody. I fight for those that are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. I fight for people with disabilities. And so even if it doesn't pertain to me, right, as yeah. my intersectionality, I still have to care about these other groups, Right. And so that's that's the important part. And so I wanted to bring up one that was very memorable to me. I had um, uh, moved to Japan to take a job. And, you know, I had never even visited Japan before this. And they Mm -hmm. sent me out there. I was there. And um, my task was to figure out why the culture was so poor at this particular location. It was rock bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew sort of why. So Mm. I was going out there. Of course, I go in observer mode first, right? Because I don't want to go in and say, I know how to fix this problem. (laughs) You know, I go in and I just watch. What does the day-to-day look like, right? What are people doing and saying when no one's around? And so what I gathered through my observation was that we had three different cultures trying to work together, right? We had Mm. Japanese nationals working there. We had military folks working there. And then we had federal civilians working there who are uh, basically Americans who work for the federal government. Yeah. So those are three distinct cultures. You have Japanese culture, which handles things very differently than military culture. Yeah. Right. And then you have the federal culture, which is basically an American institution. So. All of these three are trying to make decisions and work together and they make decisions completely different. You know, the Japanese nationals, they have uh, group harmony is important for them. It has every decision made has to be good for the group, not good for you because you're the leader and you're in charge. Right. But what is good for the group? Everybody gets a say. So they don't make decisions like this. I like that. Now, military. They make decisions like this, right? Whoever's at the top makes a decision and says, execute. Yeah. Don't ask questions. Don't think about it. Execute. Right? Yeah. And then you have federal civilians who are the American workforce 
who are sort of operating like private industry, right? Where, okay, let's sit down. Let's think about the best way to do it. You know, they, they want to work through it right in the moment. Let's see yeah. who's going to be the leader. Okay, who's going to, you know. So all of these people are in the same room. You got the military saying, why are we talking about this? You know what we got to do. Japanese nationals saying, well, wait a minute. Let's not make a decision today. Let's meet again tomorrow. And then you got hmm. the these federal civilians saying, well, let's work it out right here, right now. And so that's how it was. It was it was chaotic. And so I put a plan together, a culture action plan um, that was multi-leveled, right? It wasn't a one shit one shot pony. It was, you know, everybody had something to do for the course of a year. Hmm. I instituted that plan. We ended up being one of the top rated uh, organizations that had taken the survey and they said they had never seen anything happen uh, that quickly. They flew me, the people who created the survey flew me to DC to meet with them to discuss the action plan that I put together so that they could build something to give to other organizations to say, this is how you um, uh, create a better culture. Mm. And so from that though, we saw all of those effects and in that work environment, people talking more. We had language classes where people could learn how to speak Japanese and Japanese people could learn how to speak English. And in those classes, they're talking to each other. Mm. They're learning about each other. That's they fire. care about each other, right? And so yeah. these were things that, you know, show that it's important to really put the work in, not only just for my own intersectionality, but what is the need? What is the need? Right? What is the need for everybody? Love that. That sells one. And first, a shout out to Jessica Jones, too, for she said inspirational. Jessica, how you think I'm feeling right now? I'm sitting there listening to the journey. <laughs> I got so many questions I want to ask. I'm like, this is fine. Like, so one question I do have to, I'm like, I got to put my business hat on, right? Yes. So as you create this action plan for this place that created the survey, right? They fly you out to DC. How do you so basically they want to scale it, right? So at mm -hmm. that point, how do you price that out? as a business person, right? Like, so what was going through your mind? Like, you're going to scale it. No, no, no. This is yesterday's price ain't today's price. <laughs> so, how, so how did you, how did you go putting that framework together for all the business leaders? Like, especially entrepreneurs like myself, like curious, you know, so at the time I was in the federal government, so I could not sell anything. Wow. I, I could only give them what I had done, talk to them, let them ask me all the questions and all the things about how I came up with this plan and how I executed it. And, um, and I gave it to them and they what? created based off of that. Yeah. So I got no kickbacks from it at all. No, see, that's I did oh. get awards. I did get awards though. But yeah, in terms of like, um, I got about three awards, international awards for that work that I'd done. But in terms of like my name being what? stamped on it as the creator of it. Oh, yeah. oh man, what's that Jenny Kiss line? It's like, uh, <laughs> I love you recognize, but my son can't eat those plaques. Like, he can't eat them. I love it. Thank you for recognizing me. But it's like, it's something, I actually had a story last season, right? So we had Mary Webber, shout out to Mary, that's my girl. She created Flow from Progressive. So I asked the same thing. I'm like, okay, so you come up with this idea, you give them the idea of flow, but then it scales to a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar thing for the brand. It wouldn't be who they are without that personality, but you can't because you signed a contract for a specific deliverable. Yeah. So there is no commission. So it's like, that's insane wow. to me. And it's like, something has to be done with things like that, right? Because you should yeah. absolutely have it stamped because you work for the federal government. It's still your idea, right? Yeah. And I know the federal government is paying you, but you didn't have to go the extra mile to do that. Yeah, yeah, but you know how it is. It's like the government owns all of your intellectual property. So, and there it goes to Jordan. You're on point, baby. Woo! That was <laughs> we are rocking and rolling today, guys. Y'all yes. watching? This yes. is a, one of the fire episodes. But we're like that was that's insane. <laughs> so I would definitely think so. How so? How did you start the actual business? Right. So. From there, did you get the idea to like, oh, what is your business now? If you don't mind me, I know it's no, because you're you're working with the DCSA, yeah. right? Yes. Do you so do I'm working federal, but I also have consultant practice partners on the exactly. side. Yeah. And so that's more of a leadership training organization, um, because I think leaders are the ones who change culture, right? They're Absolutely. the ones who set the standard. They're the ones who need to have the accountability on their back. 
And so if you opt in to be a leader, it's not to get a title. It's not to say, guess what? I'm making this amount of money and I have this many people working under me. And I love that this show is called more than a title because that's what it's about. That's it. That's That's it. That's what it's about. That's what it's about, Queen. And I, I'm also that as you said that too. I'm thinking, how how do you measure your success, and what does the mountaintop look like for you, Doctor? Mm, success to me, I have certain levels of success. Like I have mm. business success, and um, so for me, I want to leave a legacy in terms of business success. As mm. long as I have something that's lasting, that someone looks back on and says that helped me, or she's done this thing. Right. That to me, um, leaving a legacy is is huge in business. Um, Personally, though, success is really being able to step back and live life um, for what it really is. And, And what I mean by that is. I don't think we're here to work and pay bills. I don't think that's our purpose. I don't think that's what we were sent here to do. Um, And so. I want to enjoy life. I want to go and do the things that I wake up and dream about. Right. Yeah. And I want to help and be in the community and do all these things. And what's stopping that is I have a nine to five that then when I get out of my nine to five, I'm tired. I don't want to do the things in the community anymore. Yeah. You know, and then I'm like, I, I want to buy these things. but I can't buy these things because I, I need to, to make more money at this job. And it's a cycle. Where you get into this hamster wheel of not ever living life. And so to me, success is when I can retire, which I plan to retire early. Um, I'll be retired by 45. Wait, wait, Airhorn, Airhorn, can we get Jay? Jay, 44. You said retire by 44. There it goes. I will be done at 45. um, And I'm working that plan. And it looks like I'm on schedule. and so for me, I can live life at 45. I've played the game. I've done what I needed to do. I've given back as much as I can to the people around me. Yeah. At that point, I want to wake up and do what I want to do every day. That's that's it. And we I literally, that's my quote. I was like, when somebody asked me, how do I measure my success, mm-hmm. Queen? It was the same thing. It's how many people, how many people do I impact? Because yeah. impact is going to equal into something else. Because when it's all said and done, all we have is these stories, right? Yeah. Me and you interacted. This is what you did. Jared did this thing over here. Or he yes. helped impact my life in some way. He made me smile on a Tuesday. Anything yeah. it is like that. And that's how I look at it. And like for me, my goal is I know the legacy in the industry. And I know I want to leave a legacy. But we only can leave a real one. The legacy for me is giving it to my kids. Yes. So that's what, what it means for me. So that's why we created OTB Digital. It was like... Man, I work at all these places. I work at this, this, this brand, this brand. But can I bring my son in when he's 18? Yeah. Yeah. What my, so I got a question for you now. Please, please shoot at me. Okay. Please. So, because this is something that I'm going back and forth over. I got a I got okay. a 15 year old, soon to be 16 year old on Saturday. Mm, so happy birthday. Yes. <laughs> happy birthday to Caden. Caden, um, happy birthday, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you with your kids right so you have this goal in your mind of i'm going to create something for them mm-hmm. i've been having conversations with with friends of mine just about do we give our kids too much you know because the the main thing we have in our head is i'm going to give my child what i never had and then yeah. we get these very entitled not hard working no motivation kids because we're giving them too much and sure. so what will you do if your child doesn't want to do with the work that you're setting up for them? You know, what does that look like for you? If they're like, nope, they're just lack of motivation, don't want to do anything. Like, what is the plan then? Support them as much as I can. So my my, my whole thing for my oldest, so it's different. So I have a 15 and a five-year-old, right? So my 15-year-old, he remembers the Starbucks. He remembers the early sales days. He remembers being at Mama Love's house. So he's mm-hmm. seen the progression of our life and our success. My five-year-old, he just walked in and everything was lit. So it's completely Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> we going on vacation. We in here. We doing this. Airbnb mansions. He's cooling. So it's for that. For me, I just want to show my son what it takes because at the end of the day, I want them to be what they want to be. But what it takes to get there, right? Like, yeah. are you willing to make the sacrifices? And not everybody's willing to. And if yeah. you're not, 
dad has you. Dad has a cheat code already established for you to keep yeah. the family name and the business going. And at least if I give you that option, I did my job as a parent. Okay. You know. Okay. You know what so I mean? Because we didn't have that. Even if they don't want it and they're like, I don't want to work. And, and that's up to you. You know what I mean? But dad did the work to make sure that you were set up. Now, if you want to be a jerk and you want to not do that and you follow your own plan, you can still be successful. You don't have to do what daddy did, but you create something for your son as well, or your daughter as well. Right. So our name keeps going. And that's what I want for my kids. And it's like, yo, so for me, my pops, he worked from 27, 27 years from seven in the morning to 12 o'clock at night to put me through private school. Right. Wow. Like, so for me, I look at my pops as like, damn, I, I, that can't be the norm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't let him down. Like he sacrificed yeah. his entire life for us. So now I've got to do the same to make sure they're good. Do I want to work that many hours? No, but I've got to have that same mindset. That I'm willing to yeah. do anything for it. Yeah. And that's what matters to me. And as long as they see that, I can go, you know, I could be 80 years old and whatever my deathbed, I'm going to have a smile on my face. They're like, why he's smiling? Because he did everything. He did everything he wanted, how he wanted to. He loved the people he loved and his family was straight by. And if yeah. my, my, my family... I've got, you know, I'm from the, I'm from the hood. I'm from the Bronx. So I'm a shining spot in my family. Mm -hmm. So as long as I can show them like, yo, it's, it's tough. Do I want to wake up every day? Do I want to pod? Do I want to do all this shit? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not sometimes, but I'm still mm -hmm. going to do it for us. Cause I have yeah. to. Yeah. It's that what you Message. do. There you go. <laughs> Message. What you do when it's tough. We, we talked about that earlier and you, you bringing it right back around. Yeah. I, I thank that's you for it. sharing that, you know, because I think that's, you know, when you have, for the folks who are listening to have a teenager, you know where we're at right now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's tough because they're trying to find their way. Yeah. Um, they're trying to figure out who they are. And it's tough on parents, you know? Super tough. Especially like the 15 year olds. They, they've got their own, like my, my, my big, my boy, he taller than me now. I gotta look up like, God, damn. Mine is six Can you clean three. your room? <laughs> he is, mine is six foot three. What? Looking down on me. And, uh, you know, headstrong, very smart kid, which is what yeah. I raised him to be, is headstrong. And now it's being used against me. <laughs> yeah. What? Used as a weapon for mass destruction. I know it. I know it. It's like, I, well, mom, you told me to have my own mind and you're telling me what to do and I don't want to do it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's mm -hmm. that's so cool. But but also that leads into the work, right? Because that that's why also why you're passionate about what you're doing, because it's my son could be going through this. Yeah. Your son could be going through this. So like, so what you're doing in the industry is so, is so impowerful and impactful. And only thing I would say to other DEI people, like, especially in the tech space. So like, I'll give you an example of something I did. It was an organization I was working with. They had, um, I forgot the name of the program, but you know, it's the, the resource group programs mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, you know, it's a black group. It's like, we got all the black employees yeah. here. You're in a group. I joined the group for the first time. I'm like, let me go see what's happening in here. We get a budget. So we put on an event and it was the, coolest event we ever did i mean it was last year for my birthday so we like we literally put it on for the birthday it wasn't for my birthday but it's for the team we got a speaker on we had a dj and it was a virtual party and we basically had it with another brand the mm. problem is they create these resource groups right but then there's still somebody in charge of budget yep and guess who's in charge of budget they don't look like you and i yeah. so so it's like so what is the point of that so i'm sitting there like am i the only person thinking this and i had to raise my hand and say like yo do you not think this is kind of bullshit that we have to get signed off? Because we're saying this is a good idea. We want to throw this party. We want to throw a cookout. What if I could have got little baby in them or somebody to come in and perform <laughs> for us? And we have a giant ass cookout. Look like boys in the hood. We would have loved that. <laughs> but I got to ask you for approval now. So like, that's the things that I don't like. I feel like there's still a long way for us to go in terms yes, of where we are in DEI. Is. And I think yes. we still have to hold brands accountable. But what, yes. like, how do we do that from your purview? How do Leadership. we keep the fight on? We need to be in leadership um, and your leadership pipeline should look as diverse as America, period. Mm. So if, mm. your, if your leadership looks all the same, there's an issue, right? There is automatically an issue. Um, and I think that's going to create the change that we're really looking for is because when you have someone who thinks differently or a group of someone's, I'm not just saying we need one yeah. black person in leadership and things don't change. That is not yeah. what I'm saying. For sure. Um, what I'm saying is there has to be diversity within that leadership cadre. You need mm -hmm. uh, Asian, you need uh, Pacific Islander, you need Native American, you need black, you need white, you need, you need all of those. And I'm using need on purpose. 
Yeah. Right? You need yeah. all of those in order to hear the voices from every angle. Um, because yeah. we are not ambassadors for all black people, right? Yeah. I'm a black leader, but I am not an ambassador for every black person because black. we are there is no monolith. We are all different. We have yeah. different intersectionalities. There's some of us who are Afro-Latinas, yeah. right? And look at things completely differently. There are people who come from a different socioeconomic status who are very affluent or people who come from very poor neighborhoods. They look at things completely differently, even though they're both black. You know, yeah. so I don't think that just having one is going to be enough. You have to have a full range of diversity at every level of your organization. And when that happens, people start questioning the process. Yes. Well, why are you doing that for that group? Well, why is their budget lower than the other budget? Well, why is, but no one's yeah. going to ask those that don't have access to the information. Yeah. Right. And so that's the, the reason why one people like me and my role are necessary because we're going through the organization and lifting up under the cover and seeing, okay, well, what's going on under here? Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, but again, I'm only one person. Yeah. So it needs to be a lot of different people doing the same type of thing and lifting up the cover and looking what's underneath. Yeah. That's when we'll start to see change. So how do we get there? We have to start uh, holding people accountable, holding organizations Absolutely. accountable for what their leadership looks like. Yeah. Um, and then also their hiring practices. Yeah. So this is a part of the role that I do at my agency as well. And we're starting to see a shift and a change uh, in yeah. our senior uh, layout. So Love it. Love uh, this it. is what's, it takes time though. It's not a overnight where we're going to fire all of the folks that are in leadership right now and hire new no. people. You have to, you know, you have to work it out and, and wait it out because you're not firing folks. That's for sure. That's it. But it's like you said, it's just the process. And it, one line that, that sticks out to me, as you said, that queen was uh, back to Walsh, out to Walt again, because this was one of the realest lines I've heard. He said, black people negotiate for money white people negotiate for power. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the realest things that I've ever heard because wow. it's so true. It was like, yo, we're so, like, even myself, let's get to the bag, get to the bag, get to the bag. Yeah. I want to buy the house. I got to do this. Got to yeah. make sure the kids are straight. Yo, AAU team, we need this, that, da, da, da. Right. And it's like, man, but negotiating for that power, and I think that's something that we should be thinking about, right? Like, yeah. right, Kels? Love you, Kels. More mm -hmm. transparency, more accountability. But it's like, how do we get to that point? Because we could point the fingers. Like, even if I use myself as an example, right? Mm -hmm. I was a VP of an agency at 26 years old, 27 years old, right? Did I ever get that opportunity again? I know white executives and leaders that have actually seen and actually churned the brand, killed the brands. Mm -hmm. But they get another opportunity. They get another yep. chance. They get another spot yep. here. You could literally lose 400 million in revenue. And guess what? It's, you were there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's my biggest problem. And that's the stuff. So anybody listening, we need to be authentic selves. We need to hold people yes. more accountable. And guess what? Don't be afraid not to play the game. Yeah. Play the game to change the game. So for me, yeah. I got caught up in that, right? So I'm thinking I got fired and laid off in August. I'm like, look, I'll be able to get it. I got a brand. I got 20000 on LinkedIn. We live. We got the podcast. Guess mm -hmm. what? I was getting offered $75,000, $80,000 old jobs that I would have gotten at 22. Right. They're going to pay me the same as John Smith. Why are you going to pay me the same as John Smith if I got 5 million impressions that can actually drive impact and traffic and all this stuff, culture in your organization? Why am I getting mm -hmm. paid the same? So guess what? You don't want to give me that? I'll create my own table. Now, in four exactly. months, we're about to be a six-figure business. So, exactly. air horn for that. Jordan's a part of it. We're not just spending our dollars with anybody no more. Right, exactly. And that's the key thing. And you, you're absolutely right around um, how we view success, right? Mm -hmm. Success is a dollar amount. If that's what you're going for, you're not helping anybody. You're not helping anybody. Uh, it's really, it's almost like playing chess or checkers, right? Yeah. You play checkers and looking at the money because the money. But there you go. There you go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, that was yes. And the message. Uh, so be, be more strategic about what you're doing, who you're bringing with you, right? Because you mm. can get a role. But it's now up to you to pull in the next person to say, OK, I'm prepping the next person to take where I just left. Right. 
And then that person helps you and pulls you up. And so this has been the motto for many years in organizations, right? Where you hire somebody who you know can do it. It's not about, oh, let me look at 50 resumes and find the best. It's no. The person that I ran into at the golf, uh, you know, spot, they do this work. I know their family. They're good people. I'm going to bring them on to do this. That's it. Right. And that's That's it. it. And so it's it's relationship based. And so Mm -hmm. we have to play our game, which is, you know, if you know that you're doing a certain role. And someone reaches out to you and says, hey, I need help. Can you mentor me? I can't tell you how many people I've mentored off LinkedIn who reached out to me and they were shocked that I responded. 90% of the time, they're shocked that I responded. Yeah. And they say, I can't believe you're actually setting up a meeting with me. No. What what can I do to help you? What can I give you? And I help them. I guide them. I help them get jobs. I help them with recommendation letters. Yeah. You know, all of this thing, because at the end of the day, it's about helping someone else get into a spot that is of influence and power so that they can change the game. They have now a power and a sphere of influence that they didn't have before. Yeah. And so I only do that for good people, though. So everybody watching, if you're not a good person, don't reach out to me. <laughs> if you're not on time and don't read, don't even waste yeah, if time. You're not, if you're not trying to help other people. Don't reach out. If you just want the money, if that's when, when I talk to you and you say, oh, I'm just trying to to make 100K, it's going to be a very short conversation. Absolutely. But if you say this is something I'm passionate about, this is something I want to do, you know, I want to help others get into this. Now I'm understanding why my help will impact more than just your pocketbook. That's it. That's it. But that, see that. But that was the issue. And, and that's why we do this. Right. And I see the shift happening now where. Black senior leaders are starting to reach down and kind of put yes. bring the ladder back down. When I yeah. first got in the industry, Queen, it wasn't like that. It felt like it was a you had to get married in, you had to barrel. know somebody, to yeah. know somebody, crab in a barrel. Crab in a barrel. Like I got what it is. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you, Jerry. It, what it is is that um, when you're the only, because I've been the only. Mm. Uh, when you're the only, you can't uh, get close to people that look like you. Mm. And and the reason why is because it shows that you are an outsider. And right. once you are an outsider, you are outside. You are not getting in those conversations that happen after work. You're not being invited to, to have a chat, right? These are the things that you lose out on. And, and once you've done it a time or two, you recognize it. And you're like, oh, if I if I act like I'm getting close to the Black workers, they're not going to invite me to the meetings anymore. And now I'm out. Mm. I have the position, but I have mm. no power because yeah. I'm out. But that's such so a hard thing to we, juggle. We're stepping. We got to step strategically in how we do things. I've had people tell me, mm. I can't hang out with you in my office. If they see you in my office, um, then they know that we're, we're close. And that's going to impact both of us negatively. So mm. just talk after work. So you have to be strategic in it. And yes, it sucks that you got to do that, but yeah. you're going to be thinking smarter than the next person, right? Okay. To say, yeah, I want to hang out and hang out with my person at work. I want to do lunch with, with people that look like me all the time, right? Because it's comfortable. But I know that if they see a group of Black people meeting anywhere, it's now of interest. It's scary. And what are y'all doing? It's, it's not a, oh, yeah. I see people meeting in the break room. It's wait a minute, all the black folks meeting in the break room. Why is that? You know, and now it's a thing. But if you see a group of, of white people meeting in the break room, no one thinks anything of it. You know, if they're eating all together, it's no problem. And so we have an understanding of that, unfortunately. And so as leaders, as you move up the pipeline, you're going to understand that aspect of it. And so in order to help each other, truly help each other, you got to be strategic and smart about it. You know, you're not going to be able to do whatever you want to do because you're still operating within the confines of, a, you know, a biased structure. That's why I give you guys so much kudos. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not. And I, the mental pressure of that alone, like, yes. I, I'm the type of person that wears my emotions on my sleeve. That's why I can't be in corporate. Yeah. I can play yeah. the game, but it's like my, my, my mentor told me the same thing. He told me not to get on LinkedIn and do all that stuff and then to end up popping off and doing the things we do. But like, 
I can't sit there and do that. If I do good work. I want to do my nine to five. Yeah. About what I do, take my ass home to my kids and not think about you until nine o'clock in the morning the next day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing the game and doing all that. And that's the type. So anybody that's listening that's that that is not a minority or that's Caucasian or anything like that, think about that and what does that do to your psyche? And it's like, I gotta sell the deal, hit my quota, figure out who it is, my alliances. Um, mm-hmm. you know, does my direct report like me enough? Mm-hmm. What should I wear? Is my hair good? And all these different things when you just like, I just wanna work. Yeah, yep. And that's that's really all it is. And it's not just about the work when you get into leadership. That's uh, and that's, that's what right. you're gonna have to understand is you're giving up a piece of yourself to lead others. Um, and a piece of yourself could be a piece of your identity sometimes, right? Mm. So that's that's the key thing that you you got to understand when you're working for someone else uh, is it's within the system and the structure that they create. And in order to to beat that level of game, right? If we take it yeah. to the video game, yeah. you know, when you want to fight the big boss, you know, you go through all of those little things. Where you're learning new skills, you know that yeah, when they tell yeah. you, oh, okay, you you ranked up, you can get this new skill. Yeah. All of that is to fight the big boss, mm. you know. And so it's the same aspect as you're working through your career, you're learning new skills, and some of those skills are going to be how to be strategic, how to move around a room, how to be the only and still come out on top, mm. right? How to be the only and still bring up the next person. You're learning these skills to to fight the big boss, which is your, your career overall to get to where you're trying to get to. Hmm. And so, yeah, there's some, there's some pieces of me that I I put to bed when I go to work. Right. Hmm. So I know that I'm okay with that, but guess what? I'm going to beat the big game. I'm going to beat the big boss and retire at 45. Air horn, air horn, <laughs> air horn please. Air horn, please. Uh, I, 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 Enjoying the heck out of this. I don't know if you can't go longer, Queen, but like I know we're at an hour, and I just want to say thank you so much for this authentic, real conversation. Thank you for sharing this because this is you embody what the show is. This is what I wanted. Thank you. Have real conversations like this, Queen, because I know you're out there, but it's this one. It, this is like we're at the restaurant, it's like we're at the bar, and this is what needs to happen, right? So yeah. Thank you, Queen. Like, for real, I've learned so much. I'm inspired. You see the comments. We're, we're ringing off. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was real. So, Queen, thank you. I'm rooting for you. Please tell the people where they can find you, books, yeah, everything. Let's, let's Absolutely. So, you, everyone, I am on LinkedIn. Please add me. Reach out to me. Um, I am always available to those who need help, assistance, guidance. Um, and I do not charge. That is not something that gives me any joy if I have time, I can I can pour into you. Um, outside of that, you can reach me on drteresahorn.com if you want to know more about what I do. Um, if you are interested in my books, that's trhorn.com. Uh, I do not write books about diversity and inclusion. I write suspense novels. Mm. Uh, and I am a best-selling author, so they are good. Look. So which one, would, if we had to check one route today, which one we would cop right now? Would you Go recommend to- Go cop girl soldier. Girl soldier, go get that. Yeah. <laughs> go get that. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get it, but sis, if I get it, can you please give me with a, a autograph? I'll, I'll I'm into that. I'm all into that. Please. Yes, please, and I got please. an audio book as well. So for those who don't like to read, you can listen to it in your car, listen to it while you clean your house. It is a very good story if you like espionage, spy type, you know, things where you, little military aspect in there, CIA, you, you're gonna like it. Have you have you have you ever thought about pitching that to a network? So funny enough, the people who uh, produce Creed reached out to me to make it into a movie. Hey, we hit air horn on that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Uh, it, it, you know, it didn't make it. It didn't make it past all of the different levels, but uh, that let me know that the story was it's good enough. It. Yeah. So that's yeah. all you need to know. Proof that's all content. I needed. That's it. That's it. Now, if we got to put up the budget, we'll do it ourselves and keep the money in house. That's it. You know what I mean? So, oh, man, that's so fire. And I'm so, like, I, I appreciate you so much. 
And everybody, so I was gonna say, tell gonna say funny things. So anybody, I do help, I do consult, but I'm charging for everything. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, we broke baby. I need all that. We monetizing and all that stuff. Yeah, I've been giving that up for free for too long. So, <laughs> I know it. I know it. See, nah, I'm still in slow. free mode. You better get me now because once better I retire, get, it ain't going to be free no more. You better get it while it's <laughs> good. You better get it. All right. <laughs> so once again, Queen, thank you again. And thank you for everybody for the check-in. Next week, we got a, a, a crazy episode. We have Dr. Marcus Collins who is the digital director of Beyonce's brand. And now he's the chief strategy officer at Wyden and Kennedy, which is also the major brand that's working with Nike and all that stuff. So I can't wait to have that King on. And Queen, you have an open invite whenever you want. This is your platform. Pull up, please come rock with us. And thank you thank again to everybody. Thank you to the team for having me. No, all love, Queen. We see you guys next week. And thanks for another episode of More Than The Title. We're going to see y'all. Yeah. What?